Thank you for joining us here at Brave Church. We hope our teaching inspires you. For more information about gathering times, events, and other resources, visit brave.church. Here's this week's talk. How's everybody doing? You guys good? Uh, Well, today we're continuing in our series through Paul's letter to the Colossians. And if you have a Bible with you or on your phone, you want to follow along. We're going to be in Colossians 2, verses 1 through 7. Uh, Colossians 2, verses 1 through 7. And also, real quick, before we read this, if you didn't get notes, um, raise your hand. We have ushers on the sides. I'd love to get get those notes to you. You're going to want notes today. Uh, These notes are really important because they actually have the questions on the back that you can bring to your home church. And so that's a great way uh, to just be thinking about things you're going to want to discuss further as we grow together. Uh, So grab those notes. Uh, Colossians 2, verses 1 through 7. Let's read this. It says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea. And for all who have not met me personally, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Would you pray with me? God, I pray for our time together this morning. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that we would hear from you. And God, I pray that we would leave today encouraged, but also challenged by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, guys, I got to say something. Uh, 2016 was a crazy year for our country, a crazy year in the world. And 2017 really hasn't been any less crazy, right? And uh, so for me, I guess my confession is, is that I'm finding it harder to care about each thing that happens. It's almost every week there's a new thing, and they're all really important things. Uh, they're things I should care about, and I, I really do when I stop and think about it. But it's like every week, whether it's a natural disaster, North Korea, uh, Trump's Twitter account, NFL protests. I mean, there are so many things going on, and it, it, it's a little bit overwhelming, I mean, sometimes I almost just want to do my own thing and kind of ignore the news, like go off the grid. Uh, So what do we do? What what do we say? It's like if you say something, depending on the issue, if you say something, you're going to make enemies. You're going to be criticized. Uh, If you say something else, you're going to make enemies. You're going to be criticized. And if you say nothing, you're going to be criticized. Okay? So it's, it's really hard to win right now. Uh, And so I've just, man, it's like, what do we do? It's like, can you donate? to a natural disaster and not post about it? And does it still count, right? I mean, it's crazy. Everybody is so focused on each other and and all these different things. And so uh, one of the things I just want to address at the beginning as we move into our passage, because it really does uh, connect to our passage this morning, is that, man, we can't ignore the fact that racism still exists in our nation. Like, we can't ignore that. And furthermore, um, the gospel... Yet, while it promotes unity, it directly opposes racism. And so when we look at the gospel, uh, we don't see this 
emphasis on, on one or the other. We see both, and they're both really important, that we be united. At the beginning of this letter, Paul says that his goal in writing to the Colossians is that they would be united in love. So that looks like a unity that also expels any racist or favoritism or any kind of um, preferential behavior in that way. So we've got to think about this stuff, right? We can't, just, we can't just go off the grid. We can't ignore it. It's right in front of us. The world is confronting us with real issues. And as overwhelming as it may be, uh, we need to look to God's word for solutions. Are you guys with me? Okay. So at the beginning, I, I mentioned Paul states that his goal is to be in, that we would be encouraged in heart and united in love. And that's my goal today, that we would be encouraged in heart, that we would be united in love as we look at this passage. Um, so what does this passage say? We live in a culture where we are bombarded by information at a volume like never before. Okay, the Bible says, um, and I'm not going to sugarcoat this, the Bible says there is an enemy, that his goal is to confuse, to create chaos, to deceive, um, to lead you astray. And he's clever, and he is active. And this happens through many different mediums in, in many different forms, whether it's through, uh, through podcasts, whether it's through articles, blogs, news outlets, videos, movies, music, you name it. He is active. Just like God is active, there is an enemy who is also active. And so we need to recognize that. None of these things, none of these mediums are inherently bad. But we need to know what message is being communicated. What is the agenda? Now more than ever, we are vulnerable because we have become addictive consumers. Uh, think about it. Think about your day. What do you do when you first wake up? What do you do uh, when you're bored? What do you do when you're anxious or maybe when you're angry? Uh, what do you do at work? What do you do when you're going to bed? What do you do when you can't sleep? Okay, you're looking at a phone, an, an iWatch, you're at a computer, you're on a tablet, you're watching TV. We're surrounded by content all the time. And all of it, think about this, all of it is saying something. It's all having an impact on your thoughts, your emotion. And, and like I said, it's happening at a volume like never before. Uh, this last Tuesday, we had a group of guys that met at the church. Over 20 guys came for a study called the Conquer Study. And it's exploring just the over-sexualization of our society, and it's giving men tools to walk in purity. And, you know, I was thinking about it 20, 30 years ago, just showing up to a group like that would have been a revival in the church. I mean, 20 guys, over 20 guys going to something like that. And, you know, it's, an, it's been an incredible thing because, I mean, everyone's coming for different reasons. Some guys are coming because their boys are getting older and they want to have the tools to, to have uh, good conversations about this with their sons or, or with their daughters, right? Uh, but others are facing things. And I just think it's amazing, but one of the guys in my group, we, we broke up into huddles after uh, we watched the video, and he was just talking about how uh, just bombarded he feels by sexual images everywhere, like in movies, TV, and, and if you really look around, you notice it is everywhere. And he was saying, man, I think those monks were up to something. Like, maybe we just need to go, maybe this, we just need to go get out of here, get, get into the woods or something, right? And yet, that's not a solution for us. We, don't, we can't do that. I mean, unless you're super rich and you can go like buy some land somewhere and create your own little world, that's not going to happen. 
So we need practical solutions. We need tools for now, for the day and age that we're living in. And so that's one of the things I love about this group. Guys, if, if you're interested, we're meeting again this Tuesday night. Uh, there's only four weeks left, so I'm pretty sure you can come. But Josh, can they come? <laughs> yeah, they can come. So you can come. There's four weeks left, so you missed the first one, but we can get you the, the DVD. But we'd love for you to join us. Uh, it's been awesome. But besides that one issue, okay, that's just one issue among many. There are a lot of different messages and agendas that this, all this information and communication is, is saying. And there's something that you need to know, and that is that it's not random, okay? What you're watching, reading, and what you're listening to is being intentionally crafted. This is information that's being individually tailored and prepared for you. Uh, It's inspirational, it's polished, sometimes it's poetic content, and it's designed in such a way that would be so persuasive that it can cause you to stop thinking. It can actually cause you to stop thinking deeply. You might be thinking, man, that's never happened to me. Well, man, have you guys been on Amazon? I mean, I just like click and buy stuff. It's so easy. Sometimes I realize, man, I didn't even intend to buy anything. And here I am like tapping and swiping, and it's already on its way to my house. It becomes a habit, right? I mean, and think about it. Like, finances, I mean, that's something we should probably think about before we spend our money, right? <laughs> Yet even, even, even with uh, technology, it's just so easy because we're actually being marketed to. We're actually being persuaded to do things that we're not necessarily thinking about. Or what about watching something that maybe you shouldn't be watching? And I'm not talking about pornography. What about watching something that causes you to feel discontent with your life because of something someone else has? What about, what about content that causes you to covet? Um, one of my friends, uh, actually, he's a pastor, and he talks about how this happens in, with other pastors in the church or even church members, and he calls it church porn. You know, you're following this church or this community where God's doing something in a different place, and, and it causes you to feel discontent with the place you are. See, we believe that the church is not just a building, but it's a people and a place. And so when you're following something that causes you to to become anything more than inspired by it, what God's doing somewhere else, but when it causes you to feel discontent with where God has you, something else is happening. So we see that this isn't always black and white. There's some gray area. The moment you stop thinking for yourself and you change your beliefs or your values because something moves you, inspires you, or entertains you, you stop thinking critically, and it's possible that you've been deceived. So today, I want to talk about three things from this text that help us navigate our lives well in the age of information. So three things. The first is the mystery of wisdom. The second is the danger of deception. And the third is the rooted life. So number one in your notes, the mystery of wisdom. Verse three says, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The imagery of hidden treasures or treasures of wisdom and knowledge evokes Jewish wisdom tradition. So Paul was countering this widely prevalent Jewish view that hidden wisdom had already been fully revealed in the Torah, which was the first five books of the Old Testament. They believed that all the wisdom of God had been revealed in those five books. And so this is where they they claim that all treasure, all insight, all truth of the law was found. But Paul's also directly responding to false teachers within their church who are actually teaching Gnosticism. 
an alternative uh, belief system that took the Bible and it blended it with Greek philosophy to produce a religion based on unlocking or finding secrets to salvation. So Jesus, is, he referenced mysteries and things that were hidden a lot in his teachings, and that appealed to this group of people. And so they took it, though, in a direction that Jesus never intended. And by the mid-20th century, uh, we actually uh, started regarding Gnosticism as Christian heresy. And more recently, scholars define the Gnostics broadly as devotees of a religious view, which borrowed ideas from many religious traditions. Um, This is actually a very popular uh, way of forming your beliefs here in the Bay Area, but we don't always know what it is or, or what it's called. In fact, most of the things that we think, we think are new, right? Uh, But when we look back in history, we can see, man, the church has actually faced a lot of different belief systems, competing belief systems, a lot of different views, and we can actually learn and see how those things panned out, and then think, okay, well, how am I going to form my beliefs? For those of you who 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 are thinking about all this, Paul was writing to people in the early church that were blending their beliefs. So this is nothing new. What Paul is saying... What is Paul saying when he says that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ? What's he saying here? 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, because uh, he who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So Paul is saying that wisdom is found in Christ, But to get to know just how profound this is, we need to understand, how did Paul define wisdom? Uh, He he defined knowledge as truth. Knowledge was truth, which leads to having prudent judgment. Okay, so so we have this knowledge that he's talking about, but then he's also talking about wisdom. Wisdom is truth applied. And it's through this action, this, this truth applied, that the mystery of wisdom is made known in our lives. Um, this is in your notes. There, there is a dimension to relationship with Jesus that cannot be experienced apart from the application of truth. In other words, you may know a lot about Jesus. You may know a lot about God. You may have been raised in church. You may have gone to a Bible college. Or you may be here exploring faith. Okay, you may be here with, with no religious background, or you're really not sure what you believe. Someone invited you. You're just exploring all of this. But according to Paul, to begin understanding the mysteries of wisdom that he's telling us about, it requires application. So wherever you're at in, in your faith journey, to begin understanding these mysteries that he's talking about, these secrets, these hidden treasures, you have to start applying his teachings. Um, When we hear the teachings of Jesus and we practice the way of Jesus, we discover wisdom for life. Uh, Last week, uh, last Wednesday, we have a high school home church, and we we meet up every Wednesday, and one of the things we always end with is like, hey, what are we going to do with this, right? And so last Sunday's talk was on hope, and so we were talking about how can we bring hope to their campus? Like, how can they be ambassadors of hope? How can they bring hope uh, to their other classmates? And Usually when we have these kinds of conversations, it always kind of lands on like, well, let's stick up for the kid who's being bullied or let's encourage the person who looks lonely. And those are good things to do. The problem is, is we usually just talk about it because it sounds great, but I don't know that we do it. And so we decided to pause and go, hey, you know what? 
we're not just going to share ideas. This isn't theoretical Christianity. Like, we're actually going to think of someone that we know is lonely, and we're going to find them tomorrow and encourage them. We're going to do something with this wisdom that we're being taught about, and we're going to see how it feels to actually do it. And I can't wait for this Wednesday to hear uh, what some of the students uh, what stories they have or what they've done, or you know, even if only one of them did something, they have begun the adventure of living out the wisdom in these mysteries that we're, that we're learning about. So one of the things that I just really love about Jesus is that he invited these guys to come follow him, and they had no clue who he was. Like, they didn't know that he's God, they, they didn't know that he was the Savior, the Messiah. They didn't worship him. They weren't Christians, yet they were coming and following him and exploring, and they just viewed him as a teacher, as a mentor. But it was through hearing these teachings and then watching him live them out and then doing what he told them to do that they discovered his mysteries. So when you apply the teachings of Jesus, this mystery of wisdom becomes known to you. It's not something that you just learn in a book. It's something that becomes real when it's lived. Uh, We set the bar really low around here. Everybody's welcome. Everybody's welcome here. Even if you disagree with our teaching, even if you're like, no matter where your background is or where you're coming from, you're still welcome to come here and to explore faith. Um, Think of it like this. Who goes and buys a car without test driving it? Like, unless you're uh, one of those crazy people, and I know a few of you who's already pre-ordered the new Tesla, right? (laughs) Like my buddy Chris back there, Uh, which you can't even test drive, right? You have to, like, decide to buy it before you could even test drive it. But normally, normal people, we go and we test drive the car before we decide if we want it, right? I actually just... uh, Sold my car. I found out the transmission was going to go, so I sold it to CarMax for whatever I could get. And I'm buying a bicycle. Um, Next month is my 30th birthday, and so I'm getting my dream bicycle. And I'm just going to be cruising around, guys. Like you'll probably see me. Like we'll see how (laughs) we'll see how long that lasts. Okay. (laughs) But hey, not paying a car payment feels really good. Uh, it's, It's already been a month, but. I mean, I can walk here, guys. I'm so close. So, but I ordered my dream bicycle, and when I was trying to decide, man, this is like kind of special and functional, uh, I was doing all this research, and I was talking to other bike owners. I was reading uh, blogs, and I found this spot in the city where I'm getting this bike custom made. And I actually, it's not done yet, but I stopped by. I have a photo. Um, so that's me um, looking smaller than usual, <laughs> uh, <laughs> holding the frame. To my, to my new bike, it's like less than 20 pounds. So, but you can see like, if you can see kind of behind me, there's, you can like see how they like put it together and like they're still putting mine together. But I did a lot of research. And for some of us, man, deciding to follow Jesus, coming to faith is a lot like that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, for some people, you, you can remember a distinct dynamic experience where you were sitting in a gathering and you were worshiping, you felt the presence of God and you, you crossed that line of faith, you made a commitment but for others, man, maybe, maybe you just started coming, and maybe you joined a home church, and maybe you went through the growth track, and you learned all this stuff, but you needed to live some of this wisdom before you could see the mysteries of Jesus confirmed in your life and make a decision. And that's where some people are at, and there is nothing wrong with that. Um, give it a try. 
Like what I find interesting, this passage, Paul is not uh, defending the faith. He's not defending Christianity. He's extending a challenge to try it out. He's saying, let the results of this wisdom, if you follow the teachings of Jesus, let the results speak for themselves. Proverbs 4, 7 says, the, the beginning of wisdom is this, get it. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. Uh, as we walk with Jesus and take these steps in his direction, in the direction he's leading us, we gain understanding. But how do we know, and this is the question, how do we know that we're following the wisdom of Jesus or that we're being deceived? How do we discern the difference between God's voice and all of these other influences? So number two, the danger of deception. Verse four says, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. By these first four words, we know that Paul's trying to get the reader's attention. He's saying, hey guys, pay attention. This is really important because I don't want you to be deceived. Uh, the Greek word used for fine-sounding argument, it convey this type of deception as persuasive and plausible. So it was a, a technical form of rhetoric characterized by a compelling conclusion drawn from accepted premises. So it's like, hey, you believe this and you believe this, so I'm going to deceive you by identifying what I'm saying with these things you already believe, with these things that are already commonly accepted. But Paul's saying, these are lies. The things that, that these false teachers are teaching, are, they sound really good, but they don't lead you in the direction of Jesus. Um, like the Colossians, I feel like we live in a time where we've forgotten something so important, and that is that there is no correlation between how good something sounds, between how inspiring it is, between how beautiful it looks, between how compelling it may seem, and it being truth. The truth is not dependent on how well it's said or how good it looks in order to be true. I, I think art is a great example of this. When things are beautiful, we tend to be deceived very easily. Uh, we see this a lot in poetry and music. Um, for example, there's an ancient philosophy known as Stoicism, began around 300 BC, and it teaches the idea of following a set of virtues that lead to the endurance of pain or hardship without a display of feelings and without complaint. So the idea leads, to, leads, leads us to suppress our emotions in our highs and our lows, uh, and then that fortifies us, makes us stronger so that we can remain in control. So here are a few examples of this philosophy at work in, in the context of art uh, and, and really sounding so beautiful. If you've heard the poem Invictus by William Ernest Henley, the last four lines say, it matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. How good does that sound? To be the captain of your soul right? To be in control of your soul. But the teachings of Jesus, Luke 17, says whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. The way of Jesus is all about entrusting your soul to a greater power, to giving your life away and finding fulfillment in giving it to others. The final lyrics of Frank Sinatra's song, My Way, which is such a beautiful song, and I love Frank Sinatra. Since I was a little kid, my, my nana has been playing Frank Sinatra. 
uh, for us. But the final lyrics, listen to this. It says, for what is a man, what has he got? If not himself, then he has not. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. Yes, it was my way. Did you know some people actually think that that is the most demonic song ever recorded? Now, I still love Frank Sinatra, a little disclaimer, okay? But this song, it sounds so beautiful, but when you, when you look at the lyrics, they're so dark. Um, it's saying that it's a declaration of independence from any form of faith. Each verse celebrates an empowerment experienced by being captain of one's own soul. It's a testament to the emptiness of life without faith, and it points to a life that ends the way it was lived, apart from God. The ultimate loss. There are many convincing, inspiring, entertaining, beautiful voices with a message that sounds so good, but it leads to deception. And as good as it sounds, there's something that these messages lack. How does a follower of Jesus tell the difference between a voice of truth and a voice of deception? Um, There's something that deception can't quite deliver that truth always carries with it, and that is conviction. The difference between the wisdom of Jesus and all other beliefs is its convicting power. Um, It's when you see someone doing something that's different, and you look at that and you go, wow, that's different, but it's love, and I want to do that too. I want to be more like that. It's when you hear someone say something and it cuts through all the noise, and in that moment, your soul knows that is true, that is right, That is good. There's a power of conviction in the gospel that great arguments, religious philosophers, the most enticing artist can never match. But conviction, it can be weakened and it can be strengthened. Okay, The more we engage with truth, the more we're aware of the influences in our life, the stronger our convictions can become. And the more we listen to voices of deception, which is why Paul was so concerned about this, so concerned that he wrote them a letter about it, that he didn't want their convictions to be weakened. He knew what it would do to their faith. So how do we strengthen our convictions and avoid deception? Verse 6 and 7 talk about the rooted life. Number 3, the rooted life. It says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So according to Paul, everything depends on Jesus. The whole Christian position stands or falls on faith in Christ. So here Paul says, to remember the experience you had of when you first came to faith. Uh, and, And it's key to know something, that in the Jewish tradition, receiving was crucially important. Everything was handed down so that the values, the beliefs of their community were passed on from one generation to the next. And this was really, really important. We actually do this today. Schools pass down knowledge from one generation to the next. Parents pass down their values. They pass down their beliefs to their children. But Paul is saying something about Christianity that is so different. It's so key, and that is that our faith can't be passed down. You can share your faith. 
You can share your faith with your children. We can share it in schools, but it can't be passed down because it's something that happens from within. You have to have your own experience with God for your faith to be real. Following Jesus isn't a tradition. It's felt, uh, it, it's felt from within. It's a genuine relationship. It's something that, that you can't just give to someone. So when our foundation of faith starts with this real and genuine experience that we have between us and God, we have a foundation to build on. This is the starting point. And so it's, it's important to know, this is how deep roots are grown, is, is from this place. The, the Jewish tradition, they, they believed that in the ancient world that you couldn't even have a life that bared significant fruit without deep roots. They were connected. So if you're not following Jesus, um, I, I want to invite you to keep exploring, but take action. Try some things. Try putting into practice. You can explore faith in this community before you've made a commitment, and you can see for yourself. And, and my prayer, my hope, is that you'll have the kind of genuine experience that I've had with God for yourself. Uh, and maybe you're here today, and you've been following Jesus for a while, but you need to come back to this starting point. Maybe you've, you've lost sight of the relationship and gotten caught up in the tradition. So in a few moments, we're going to receive communion. In fact, I'm going to invite the band to come and join me. Um, but communion is, is such an amazing tradition because it's, it's so much more than a tradition. It's actually something we do that's designed to stir our hearts in remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11 says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, the cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So when you remember what Jesus has done for you, you're coming back to that starting point. You're, 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 taking, you're, you're going back to the big picture of your life. And that's so important for us to do regularly as a community because at the end of this passage, he says that we'll be overflowing with thankfulness. See, there, there are stories. Uh, I, love, I love home church because it's where we share our lives together. And I heard so many stories, different, different things in my home church last week of people who were recalling times that God had really shown up in their lives. And that's so powerful. It's so important to remember those stories, but it's also important to remember the most important story. It's also important to come back to that moment where Jesus did everything we ever needed someone to do for us. And that it leads us into eternity and that there's a hope beyond this life. And so when we receive communion, it's a lot like, I mean, have you ever gone to a store and just smelled some perfumes? Or cologne. Maybe you're buying for yourself or as a gift, and you're smelling all these different things, right? And after a while, you either aren't able to distinguish between the different scents, or you just kind of go with the one that smells the strongest if you don't have that little cup of coffee beans that you smell. And it just kind of resets everything. And really, that's what communion is a lot like. When Paul's saying, going back to the starting point, remembering what Christ has done for you, he's saying, reset. Smell the, smell the coffee beans so that then you can, you can identify the scent of Jesus, so that you can identify the voice of God so you're not just drawn every which way by what smells the strongest. 
So I'm gonna invite you to bow your heads with me as we close in prayer. And before we receive communion, for those of us who are following Jesus together, before we remember what Christ has done for us, if you're here today and you're at that place, you're, you're wanting to respond, you're wanting to decide, I'm ready to come and follow. I'm ready to come and follow Jesus, to respond to that call that for thousands of years he has been making and we have, we have been following in, in this same pattern, but it's more than a tradition. It's something you feel from within. And so if that's where you're at, I just invite you to raise your hand so that I know you're making that commitment because I want to pray for you. So if, you, if that's where you're at, go ahead and raise your hand. It's awesome. It's awesome. God, I just thank you for everyone here who made that decision today, that as they confess you as Lord of their life, as their Savior, and as they join community and they join uh, with others who are following together, I pray that they would be encouraged. I pray that they would feel your presence right now. They would feel what you have done and are doing for them, the work that you are still completing in all of us, God. We are so thankful today. We're overflowing with thankfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.